Hi everyone, good afternoon. Uh, welcome to our March construction webinar. Uh, my name is Tashia Rasool. I am an attorney and a partner here at Lois Law Firm where we practice the defense of uh, workers' compensation claims in the great state of New York. I personally handle only construction claims, so the workers' compensation claims that arise out of um, construction accidents. Uh, my team here at Lois, I'm sorry, I'm having a little issue with my slide. Here we are. Sorry, guys. <laughs> All right. Yeah, so my team here at Lois uh, handles only uh, construction cases, those arising out of construction accidents. As you also know, I am the author of the Construction Defense Handbook. Um, if you do not yet have a copy, please feel free to let me know. I can send you a hard copy, or better yet, we do have PDF copies available. Um, for you, for those of you joining me for the first time here today, welcome. For my old timers, welcome back. Uh, this is a live presentation. I know we've been going on and off with the live presentation over the past uh, several months, but I'm here back in the studio. I expect them all to be live unless we get some crazy snowstorm or something again. Um, if you have any questions, definitely post them in the end. Uh, let's see. Today we're going to discuss um, the timeline of a workers' compensation claim. We'll also discuss how a workers' compensation claim impacts a general liability claim, and we'll also talk about some workers' compensation milestones. All right. As you know, the goal of these uh, <clears throat> webinar series is really to focus on the importance of collaboration between workers' compensation and general liability claims. So every month I've been choosing a topic and going through it with you guys. If you have any questions, I answer them at the end or you can send me an email. Uh, also, I've also, I've also been taking uh, ideas for topics that you'd like to see me discuss in the future or if you and your team need any sort of training on a particular topic, I can also do that for you too. I do try to give just an overview of issues here. I don't want to, uh, you sitting here for an hour or two because I could talk and talk and talk. Um, so, you know, if there's anything you want me to elaborate on, please feel free to let me know. All right. Like I said, it's, um, it's, it's, it's live and I'll answer your questions in the end. Just look for the box that looks like this type your question in and they should show up in my end, hopefully. Let's see if I still know how to do this. Okay, so let's get into it. Let's talk about the timelines. So as you know, the workers' compensation claim moves much, much more quickly than the general liability claim. For an accepted claim, the initial investigation to confirm loss can happen within minutes or hours of the accident happening, and we actually recommend that it happens so quickly, immediately, as soon as you know there's been a loss, get your team out there. Uh, one thing to know for accepted claims, the 1810 rule, if you're accepting the claim, you have to get your benefits out to the claimant. So what exactly is the 1810 rule? The Workers' Compensation Board is going to allow the carriers uh, the greater of the following. So it would be, uh, on or before the 18th day of uh, lost time or on or before the 10th day of when the employer actually had knowledge of the loss. 
So of course, if the employer had knowledge of the loss, they're expected to get on it uh, more quickly, get those payments out to the claimant. Um, we'll also look at uh, the medical and the lost time benefits begin. Uh, soon after the accident occurs and as soon as you accept that claim, it starts immediately. It could start from an on-site medic visit or it can start from uh, uh, an off-site visit to the urgent care or the emergency room. It starts right away. And as you know, the claimant has the, the liberty of choosing his own doctors. Uh, we don't really have control over that. Um, so he can go wherever he wants to go to get treated. Then we're also looking as soon as the treatment starts going, we see additional body parts, you know. So we've seen the cases where the claimant got an ouchie to his finger and then it turns into the hand and the arm and to the back and then radiates down to the legs and then he's got a psych condition after that. And especially if he has a general liability claim, which is what we see very often with um, construction claims, he's gonna go get those surgeries, whether they're necessary or not, he's going to get them to increase the value of his general liability claim. And while, you know, two years down the road when the statute of limitations has run for him to include additional body parts, he's gonna have the consequential injuries. Uh, you know, the consequential right knee as a result of the left injury, in, uh, the, the left knee injury, um, or, you know, the consequential psych because he's been so injured for so long. So those are the things we're gonna see in an accepted claim and it really could go from zero to 60 really, uh, like. In, you know, in, in what seems like a matter of weeks. Uh, if you start denying treatment or if for any reason you're denying benefits, even though it's an accepted claim, the claimant's gonna get a hearing within two weeks, three weeks. The board has become increasingly um, more efficient with uh, setting down hearings. So we'll be before a judge, it, it could be easily within 30 days. All right, so for, Denied claims, they move even more quickly. Uh, the 1810 rule, we still should keep that in mind. Very, very important within 25 days from the EC84 being filed, which is a notice of indexing, um, wherein the board identifies the proper carrier, sends a notice to the carrier saying, hey, this claim has been filed against you, you need to take action. If you're denying the claim, you must file your denial within 25 days of the date of the EC84, or you're going to lose your defenses. I can't stress this enough because the, the, the board is very strict about it. Um, it's even though a carrier is allowed to, to make a, a, a good faith show as to why the denial is late, the board is very um, favor in favor of the claimant and will most likely deny um, the carrier the opportunity to, uh, you know, present a reason why the denial was late and establish the claim, move towards establishing the claim. Uh, when filing the denial, something you should know, you have to file the FROIA 4 or the SROIA 4. If perchance you file the uh, FROIA 00 or initially you accept the claim and you want to like subsequently deny the claim, you have to file a SROI after that, the subsequent report. Um, the SROI of four is the one that you would file. This has to be done within 25 days of the EC84. The claimant then submits medicals. Unless the claimant submits medicals, the board is not going to schedule the matter for a hearing. So you can get your FROI of four or SROI of four in. We get our PH16.2 
two in. It's all in there. If there are no medicals, we're not going to get a pre-hearing conference. The board would start sending notices to the claimant saying, hey, Mr. Claimant, you know, the carrier filed a denial. If you want to pursue your claim, you have to submit medicals. Claimant submits medicals and you get a pre-hearing conference as soon as 30 days after the submitted uh, submission of the medicals. Like I said earlier, the board has become a little more effective with scheduling hearings. So we've seen hearings pop up like a week and a half or two weeks in advance um, after the, the, the hearing notice is issued. So it goes by really, really quickly. And if it's a hearing, if it's a case that's on the expedited calendar, the hearing's gonna be set within 30 days. For these construction claims, um, we try to get them off of the expedited calendar. Um, the basis would be, number one, it's a construction claim. It's, um, you know, it's a complex claim. There's a lot of moving parts. Uh, we want to get the claimant's prior uh, records to see if he had any pre-existing injuries or any prior accidents that he was still treating for at the time of the accident. And then we need to get an IME. The board allows 28 days, um, I'm sorry, 27 days to get the IME, which is really no kind of time um, to, get, to get an IME, to get the records to give to the IME doctor to review. But the judges are more and more getting strict about this timeline. So if we have it removed from the expedited calendar, we don't have to worry about get it, trying to get the IME within uh, 27 days. All right. Let's talk about some workers' compensation milestones. And these are the ones that we should be focusing on and the ones that we should be sharing with GL Council. So, we hear of an accident, it's reported or we just heard through someone that an accident occurred. We have to make a decision of whether to accept or deny the claim. When we make that decision, uh, we should be communicating with GL Council if GL Council has been assigned to the file. Now, taking a step back, most of the clients that I, I, I work with, once there's been a catastrophic accident on a construction site, they immediately assign GL Council without even knowing whether the claimant is going to file a lawsuit. Uh, this is really to start the investigation, to get the team out there. The attorney usually goes out there. Their investigation um, vendor usually goes out there. However, we've been encouraging our clients to call us in the very first day also. I know you don't want to be dealing with a lot of attorneys when this claim's just coming in, but because of how fast the workers' compensation claim uh, goes, it's important that you bring in your, your uh, workers' comp defense attorneys to provide guidance to the investigator and to the GL attorneys as to the information that we would need to defend the workers' compensation claim within the next 30 days. Um, so if you're making the decision of whether to accept or deny, that's a really important milestone. We need to know, especially if you're denying this claim, we need to know that so we can tell you the information we need your investigators to get from the scene. Uh, speaking with witnesses, if we're speaking with witnesses, we may contact with the GL attorney saying, hey, we have these witnesses. We actually got them from your report, but there's this additional one that we heard of. We're gonna be talking to them. If there's anything helpful, we'll convey to you. Then the trial set within 30 days, hopefully not, because we've gotten it off of the expedited calendar. Maybe we get 60 days, it's better than 30. Um, then we have to get an IME. The IME is going to make a determination as to causal relationship, 
and degree of disability. Hopefully that IME comes back and says no causal relationship. That's going to help us with our defense. And after we get the IME, we're going to be doing depositions. We'll cross-examine the claimant's doctor that he's relying on for causal relation, degree of disability. They're going to cross-examine our IME doctor. And guess what? You know, the, the minor hand injury turns into additional body parts being injured or the claimant remembering after a month that he injured all these additional body parts. So we're dealing with additional body parts from the very beginning of the case also. We might need to get a subsequent IME if the IME was not instructed the very first time to um, examine the particular body part that the claimant is uh, seeking to get in later on. And then surgeries, again, we might need to get IMEs to comment on the need for surgeries. And benefits. So the benefits um, are, are going if it's an accepted claim. With each IME, we're always asking the IME to comment on degree of disability so we can reduce those benefits. If it's a denied claim, you don't pay any benefits until the claim is actually established and directed by the judge. Um, later down later down the road and we try to do this as early as maybe six months especially if there's been no surgery which are you know far and few in these construction claims pursue labor market attachments um if we have an ime finding the claimant has a less than total disability start pushing him to return to work we know during the past year with the pandemic the board's been very very uh, lenient and relaxed when it comes to labor market attachment, but our firm has been pushing it and we've been successful um, getting the claimants to look for work. There's work out there. There's a lot of like re uh, virtual work, remote work that they can actually do. Um, the judges should be setting it for um, labor market attachment and directing the claimants to provide their proofs, especially the claimants we know who are not um, only skilled in construction work, right? Because that's usually their excuse construction's kind of slow, I can't go back, it's the pandemic. Uh, no, none of that really, really, really applies. I think we should be pushing, your attorneys should be pushing for labor market attachment to suspend the benefits. After the claimants return to work, we can start thinking about permanency. Um, if it's an SLU, we can close the, the claimant SLU um, award. Those are nice and easy, but guess what? It's it's rarely ever just an SLU because the back or the neck always comes in, or the site comes in to like complicate things. And we're talking about LWEC. Then we have to um, deal with LWEC. So one of the benefits of actually pushing the claimant back to work, it it helps our LWEC argument, right? If the claimant has no loss of wage earning capacity, then you know he's back to work making the same wages. Then he may have uh, uh, this made up. Um, permanent impairment, but it's not affecting his actual uh, wages. So that's one of the reasons we want to push them back to work. And last but certainly not least, and this is something we think about from the very first day of a claim, getting a fraud findings. Is this claimant fraudulent, right? Is, is his actual claim fraudulent? Is his claim for benefits or additional body parts, are, are those fraudulent? We're always looking at the cases, and this is why we need the prior records. Um, we need to take the claimant's testimony, make sure we have it under oath, and really, really need to know the file and what his claim is. We're always keeping an eye out for fraud, and we've seen in so many cases where this can really, really close down a case. Um, 
we, we've seen it happen like within 60 days or 90 days when we're at the trial, we raise fraud and we've had judges um, make fraud findings and disallow a claim. We're like, great, this is great. You know, we curb exposure right there. So it's something that you and your attorneys really should be looking for the very first day. All right. So these are the main milestones. These are the ones you should be communicating with the GL attorneys. Um, the claimants may not have filed his general liability claim by the time we're at the end of this case because of the, the, the statute of limitations and the negligence claims. Um, but it's good to give the GL attorney all of this information so they have it ready. Maybe there can be an early settlement with this information when the case is still pre-suit and, you know, on the GL side, we don't have to like go through active litigation. All right, so I've talked a little bit about the pace of the workers' comp versus the general liability. Workers' comp can go from accident to establish in about 60 days. Um, permanency in about two years, sometimes it gets dragged on if he's getting a surgery towards the, as we're getting close to the two-year mark. Uh, the statute of limitations for negligence claims is three years, so we can be at permanency and he hasn't even like filed his um, general liability claim yet. Um, and in the meantime, the workers' comp claim is just moving along at a very swift pace and you know we are doing all that we can do to build up the case for the general liability. Our goal in handling and uh, defending these construction workers' compensation claim is to set up such a good defense, knock out all of the additional body parts, uh, suspend benefits, get fraud findings. So by the time the general liability claim is starting up, we can present all of this evidence to them and say, hey, we're, we're, we're giving you this on a silver platter. All you need to do is like make use of it to um, help reduce the value of your general liability claim. All right. So let's talk about some things that can go wrong on the, the workers' compensation side. Sorry for my slow pace there. I thought my, uh, my slides just froze for a second there. Um, so what possibly went wrong? Now we're looking at a claim and all of a sudden we have five established body parts. Um, the guys had a fusion, a discectomy, he's had an arthro hip replacement, he's now getting like psych medications. We are a year and a half into the claim and you know we're looking at a an Elwick finding of 50% or more, 75%, his attorney's claiming a total industrial disability. And we're talking to our GL attorneys and they're saying, well, you know, this this case has a lot of value, five million dollars and more. What happened? What happened? I mean, these are not things that we should be seeing in our cases. Again, one of the reasons you should be calling your attorneys the very first day an accident happened. Um, we have seen the difference in being involved from the very first day versus being involved later down the road. Later down the road can be like just 60 days, right? I mean, we've gotten cases where it's been accepted for body parts that shouldn't have been accepted, or we got an IME that you know, kind of screwed us because he found causal relationship for body parts he shouldn't have. And it could have been prevented if we drafted up the, the, the cover letter. So let's talk a little bit about, let's take a look at, you know, what possibly went wrong. Why are we now stuck with this case? 
and what can we do to fix it when it's 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 down the road um we see it often when the claim is accepted without doing investigation my recommendation is that even if there's really an accident that we know about and there's witnesses get your investigation team out there within the first 24 hours this way we know that even though we're going to accept it we are not going to accept 10 body parts we're just going to accept the body part that was actually injured okay even though the claimant's going to file his c3 list in the 10 body parts we don't want to accept all of those simply because we know an accident occurred so my recommendation and i i recommend strongly even accepted claims spend the extra money to get your investigation team out there it can really help to save hundreds of thousands in the workers comp claim in the long run and potentially millions in the general liability claim in the long run um another thing that that could have gone wrong we agreed to um rates you know so the claimant the the, the claimant is saying well my doctor is saying i have a total disability we're now six months you know into the case i still need surgery i still need this additional treatment even though your IME is finding a mild disability, can we just agree to the rate? You know, let's just do like a moderate and we'll just live happily ever after we meet in the middle. All right, this sounds great, right? I mean, this sounds fabulous, okay? You, you, you don't have to get your attorneys involved. You can like draw up a step or even have your attorney just go to court and say, okay, we'll agree to this. But what's gonna happen next? We can't um, raise labor market attachment, right? The next time we get an IME, it might be six months out where you're paying at this, this rate that you really shouldn't be paying at. Or the next IME comes in and um, it, it finds causal relation for additional body parts because it's an IME with like a different doctor who doesn't really know the case and know the claimant. These are things that we really should try to avoid and this can be done by litigating degree of disability you know get the doctor's testimony cross-examine the claimant's doctors present our IME opinion let the judge make a decision um a lot of times you know we're very successful if we actually do the work we we're, we're successful in getting the rate reduced to the IME rate and this allows us to pursue labor market attachment a lot of claimants we've seen them when they are forced to you know go look for work you see the treatment start going down. They actually look for work, you know, and, and, and then they return to work because they don't want to be doing this job search thing every week. Don't get me wrong. There are those claimants who would rather do that than go back to work and they're out of work for like two years. But the benefits we've seen in actually litigating degree of disability and not always agreeing to rates and pursuing labor market attachment is, um, the, the amount of money that's being saved in the long run, both in the workers' comp and the GL side. So let's think twice about before we agree into rates. To give an example of when we would want to agree to a rate, let's say our IME didn't comment in two body parts and he's finding a mild degree of disability, or our own IME is recommending additional um, significant treatment, which we know the claimants undergo in like 30 days. If our IME is recommending that, it might be worthwhile to agree to uh, like a compromise rate for like next 60 days but let me tell you as soon as he undergoes that that surgery or gets the treatment that our IME is saying we need to get a new IME and we need to uh, 
uh, leading a degree of disability. We need to make the claimant work for their money. I, it, you know, it's it's kind of like their job filing these claims, the, the the way we've been seeing them, right? They're like these career claimants. So if you if you want to get the money, like they have to work for it. Let's not agree to things um, that could potentially harm us in the future. Okay. What's the solution to these claims that have gone a little too far? And you know, we're we're, we're now looking at a, a big settlement value or a high permanency finding. Let's be proactive from day one. Like I said all throughout this webinar, and I, I think I say it in all of my webinars. Um, get your investigation team out there from the moment you learn of an accident. Let's get all the information. Let's um, let's let's do the investigation even before we just decide to accept a claim. Treat every workers' compensation claim like a GL claim. This is really our motto over here. Um, our workers' compensation claims, my team and I handle them differently than we would a regular workers' compensation claim. I'm not saying that we don't pay enough attention to a regular workers' compensation claim. I'll just make that clear. But because there are so many moving parts. We are in it from the very first day, from the investigation, from uh, to the trial, to collaboration with GL attorneys. You need to be on top of your case, right? We treat every workers' compensation claim like it's a million-dollar claim, and we're trying to reduce exposure significantly. Um, report the milestones and developments to GL defense attorneys. Sometimes you might not hear from the GL defense attorney, and it could be like, you know, they, they don't really know what to ask for, that, that it's actually important that they check in with us to see what's going on in our case. We, we are proactive about it. We make the effort. We, um, anytime there's something major going on in our end or one of the milestones are um, approaching, we reach out and we tell them. And a lot of times we get information from them that could help us with, um, you know, taking the claimant's testimony or uh, presenting an argument in court. And, um, you know, the good results that we get are really going to benefit the general liability side. All right, something to know. Uh, this has been coming up a little more. We've, we're, we're seeing this um, workers' compensation law, section 21A. So this, this, this section permits a carrier to take up to a year to determine whether it can accept or deny a claim. Great. I mean, this sounds, this sounds fabulous, right? We, we don't have to uh, deny the claim right away. We can take our time and do the investigation. Um, and it allows for that when timely payments are made during the, the one-year period or the six months or however long it takes us to make a decision. And the claimant and the board are notified that the payments are being made without liability. So when you're filling out the FROI or the SROI forms, you have to ensure that it's being done without liability. Um, and if you ultimately decide to deny the claim, then you have to go ahead and file the, um, the appropriate FROI and SROI. Um, one thing that I would caution everyone about with regards to this is that we're finding it very, very difficult. The board is kind of biased against the carriers when they, they make this decision to um, wait and deny the claim. Uh, a lot of times I've seen where we do this, uh, the forms are not properly filed or timely filed, 
And if they're not, uh, we lose a chance to deny the claim and then we're stuck with the claim or the investigation lags. Um, and you know, it's, it's really important to get the investigation going from the very first day. So I'd be very cautious in recommending that we actually um, take a year to accept the claim. We can definitely invoke our rights under um, the statute, but you know, do a speedy investigation and try to accept the claim within 30 days or within you know 25 days of the EC84. But just wanted to let you know there there's this provision out there that would give us uh, additional time to make a decision whether to accept or deny the claim. Just remember the documents, the forms must be timely filed, and you will have to issue payments in the meantime. All right, so I've talked so much about the workers' comp milestones. What are some civil milestones that we should be talking about or asking about? Statute of limitations, three years for negligence claims. This is something my office keeps track, my, my office and my team uh, keep track of internally. We know the date of loss. We have our system where we flag um, the cases and put in the date that the statute of limitations is going to run. However, you know, if, if you're unsure about it, ask your attorney. We can ask a general uh, liability attorney. Uh, when is the statute of limitations going to run? How much longer do we have to wait uh, to see whether the claimant's actually going to pursue a general liability claim or not? For public entities, they must provide notice within 90 days of the accident happening. So we should keep an eye out for this if your client is a public entity um, uh, company. Um, you should uh, make, make sure that the notice is timely on the general liability side. Also for the public entities, there are these um, depositions called 50H hearings. I know they're called hearings, but they're technically depositions where the parties question the claimant about everything from the accident to like his personal life, his background, prior injuries, just to get a full understanding of what he's claiming and where we think the claim's going to go. Um, <clears throat> the 50H hearings usually happen very early on, and I cannot even stress how many times these, the transcripts from the 50H hearings help us to properly defend our workers' compensation claim, um, especially if it's one where we manage to get it off the expedited calendar and get the trial put off. Once in a while, we'll get the transcript in early enough before the trial that we can use. And we've, you know, we've been able to knock out body parts or even to like raise fraud um, using these transcripts. So we should definitely be asking GL counsel, um, you know, if there's been a 50H hearing and if so, can you send me the transcript so my attorney can review it. We should also know when the complaints, the answer, the bill of particulars are being filed. Um, we like knowing what the claimant's claiming on the general liability side. I'll tell you a lot of times they don't match up. They're claiming certain body parts in the workers' comp side, and then on the general liability side, they're either claiming additional body parts or they're not claiming like a major body part. So there's usually like some kind of disconnect, which is very helpful in strategizing. Um, so, you know, it's, it's good to... Uh, have these documents, the bill of particulars usually lay out all of the injuries um, that the claimant is claiming. And it's it's perfectly fine for general liability counsel to be sharing this with your workers' comp uh, counsel. Um, so don't be afraid to ask for them or ask, you know, whether they've been filed. <clears throat> Depositions, uh, these apply to both a public entity and um, 
you know, uh, private uh, private companies, private entities. Um, they happen throughout the case. They can be of the claimant. They can be of lay witnesses. They can be medical witnesses. They happen throughout the course of the general liability claim. Um, most times they happen like a cluster of depositions, but we definitely would like to see those transcripts too, especially those of the claimants and um, the doctors. We want to see what his doctors are saying and compare them to what's going on in our case. And then finally, mediations. Mediations are very, very important um, for the workers' compensation side. I think it's very uh, useful to have your workers' compensation attorney attend these mediations. I personally attend them uh, upon request of my client or even if they're not telling me to, I would say to him, them, hey, I this is a very messy case. I think I should be a part of it to straighten out any um, issues that they're having and to clarify anything that needs to be clarified um, so that the claimant is not making things up, um, you know, and substantiating his high general liability demands. And I find them very, very helpful, um, both for the workers' comp and the general liability side. We get to see what they're trying, what they're valuing the claim for and why they're valuing it. Um, we also get to dispel any lies, um, you know, being presented by the claimants. We, I've seen situations where the claimant saying that he's getting benefits at the total rate or that a surgery has been approved when it's been flat out been denied by the board and there was no appeal file. And these are things we present to our general liability counterpart um, and that they present to the mediator in an effort to get you know, the value of the case reduced, push the claimant settled for a lower amount. So it's, it's very important. Um, I'm usually asking with mediations, as long as I know a claim has been filed and you know things are very active on the GL side, and I see the workers' comp claim is going at a, a you know like a really good pace. Where we're going to be talking permanency or settlement soon. I start asking about a mediation or potential global settlement. So definitely keep that in mind. Even though it's a general liability thing, um, there is value to having your workers' comp defense attorney there. All right, and IME and expert reports. We should be uh, sharing those with GL counsel too. Uh, just saying, hey, we got a good IME. Hey, we didn't really get a good IME. And likewise, on their end, we want to know what their doctors are saying about the claimant's conditions. Oops. Okay. Sorry, guys. I don't know what's going on with me in the slides today. I'm going ahead, going back. But guess what? We're almost at the end. <laughs> so that's it for today's webinars. I went over the workers' comp milestones and the general liability milestones. Let's keep these things in mind. You know, if, if you're ever in doubt, uh, if, if you're my client, give me a call or give your defense attorney a call and say, hey, what do you think about this? I heard Tashia talking about it. You know, is this a good, you know, sh should we start the collaboration here? And I'm pretty sure your attorney is going to say yes. If not, call me. I'll tell you what to do. Um, so that's that's it. If if you have any questions, put them in the box. I'll take a look. Or if you think of any later, um, send me an email and I'll respond to you. But here's a quick look at what's next. Uh, I've been doing this webinar the first Monday of every month, and we're going to continue to do so this year also. So the next webinar is April 5th, um, a month from today. 
and we're going to be talking about risk reduction and transfer schemes. Now, this one's really, really good because we can find ways, because there are ways that we can, you know, transfer the risk over to someone else. And I'll also talk about how it becomes a little complicated when there's um, there's a common client and the OSIPs and the CSIPs and, you know, the, 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 the whole wrap-up situation. And down the road, we're going to talk more about the wrap-ups, the OSIPs and CSIPs. Uh, this year, I'm going to spend <clears throat> additional time talking about insurance policies and coverage issues. We see this coming up a lot. We've also seen that our dear judges do not really know how to read these policies and like they don't understand what's going on. So we'll go through like some tips and tricks um, how to address these coverage issues so we're not being stuck in a case for like five hearings down the road when we're clearly not the liable carrier. I try to give relative laws as we, you know, as we talk about different topics or like personal experience. I share my personal experience with you. So I hope you'll join me again next month. If you know anyone who would be interested in joining the webinar, please let them uh, just direct them to our website, have them sign up. And, um, you know, if you missed the webinar also, we can send you a copy of the video so you can watch it at your own, uh, at your own um, time. So let's see if there's any questions from anyone. Okay, I think there's one question. Okay, so I have one question and it is, can we push labor market attachment with work positions outside of construction? The answer is yes, yes. Now, remember labor market attachment means that the claimant is forced to look for work or show that he's attached to the labor market as long as he has less than a total disability. Technically, this works even though the doctor is finding a 99% disability because, hey, you can go out there and do some kind of work. We do get the pushback from the claimant's attorney. Oh, he only has 30 years of uh, experience in workers, con uh, I'm sorry, in, in construction. This is all he knows how to do. He can't go and do any other kind of work. Now, this is not entirely true. We should never back down when we get a response like that from the claimant's attorney. Um, the, 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 the law doesn't say that the claimant has to go find work within the same industry or the area that he's specialized in. He really should be looking for any kind of work. So, you know, even, he, even though he's a construction worker, he can go be um, some kind of like a, like a desk person or doing like a, like a work from home situation where he's not actually going out there. And quite frankly, a lot of these jobs that the claimant could find, um, they don't require like significant qualifications, like a college degree or a master's degree. Um, you know, I, I, I think like, anyone can go like work at the grocery store or like you know be like a receptionist for someone or be like a day a data review person as long as you know how to operate a computer and read and write so yes absolutely um force the claimant to get positions outside of construction you'll get the pushback from them and their attorneys but that's not the law they have to look for any kind of work and show that it's within their restrictions that's really the only requirement within their restrictions right so, you know, okay, they may have uh, like two fractured legs and they can't do construction work. 
We understand that, but there's other things they can be doing, like sitting at home. So definitely push for it. All right, so I don't see any other questions. Um, if for any reason they didn't come through and you're actually trying to send one, send me an email, uh, give me a call. I'd be happy to chat with you. Um, I'll definitely respond to your, your email and get you an answer. Um, but until then, I'll see you guys next month. Uh, please join me. And again, I'm taking um, uh, suggestions for any topics you'd like to see me cover. Um, you know, any issues you're having, I'll definitely put together a webinar for you. All right, guys, until then, see ya.